Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. Oh, it's a long way. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh, they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. For the championship. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball weekend betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson and Mike Randall. What's going on, Colin? You ready to go? I got up early this morning, got dressed for a trip to the moon. I had my Nokia cell phone in one hand, had my Bed Bath & Beyond coupons in my other hand, and it turned out the flight was canceled. It didn't go anywhere today, and so I was left with just capping Friday's card. Well, you better pick some winners if you were trying to get aboard that rocket ship. <laughs> um, Randall, what's going on with you, brother? Guys, can we get Robin Hood? Can we all come together and get them to ban Drake coffee cakes? Can we do that in honor <laughs> of Drake's undefeated streak? Oh, forget the movie theaters. Let's just get on Drake, man. Drake, unbelievable. 12 and 0 or 13 and 0 against the spread? 13 and 0. 13 and 0 against the spread, 15 and 0 overall. I think I opposed them one other time. I was against them last night at Hurt with Missouri State, who I thought was going to win the game and then had a big lead. Choked it away and then, yeah. yeah, choked it away late, missed a bunch of layups. Drake hit a couple threes. I don't know if Drake can keep the shooting up, but um, they're very well coached. They're fun to watch. Uh, run a lot of different defenses. Great motion off the ball, but the run will eventually come to an end. But, but like we said, like we said on a previous pod, though, that weekend with the Ramblers, that that back to back with the Ramblers, that's going to be must see TV. That's like prime TV viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I have Loyal Chicago, my power ratings, probably like maybe 15 to 20 spots higher. I got to check. But yeah, those are two, definitely two tournament teams. And Missouri State's a tough out. But let's, let's start with uh, just, reflecting back on the week that was bitch about something 
give credit to a team, get something off your chest, whatever it may be. I'll start. Uh, I'm going to first shout out to Vandy for coming back for me against Florida. They look dead in the water. Scotty Pippen Jr. doesn't get enough credit because Vandy's so bad, but that kid can play, <clears throat> and he's putting up ridiculous numbers. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bitch because it's it's that's always more entertaining. I'm gonna bitch about Clemson. All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week. Despite the fact that I got a win last night with Clemson against Louisville, thankfully because I had them against Florida State on Saturday, and that game was never even close. It was over five minutes into the game. An embarrassing performance, just as embarrassing as that performance against Virginia. That offense was fraudulent. Uh, it's the same old Clemson offense. But so that was embarrassing that I had them on Saturday and I led others astray. But even though when they covered last night, it was the worst. And I watched the entire game. One of the worst games I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there were six of 36 from three Clemson. It just disgusting shooting. Louisville couldn't make anything. One of the worst games I've seen. Uh, I came away not impressed with Louisville. I, the Clemson offense is just, uh, it's its broken. Big win for Clemson's tournament hopes, but I, they made me watch two of the worst games I've seen in the past week. They get blown out by Florida State at the bar on a Saturday trying to enjoy that game. Nope. And then last night, th- thankfully, they gave me a winner, but I had to suffer through those two hours. So hopefully I don't have Clemson anytime soon, but probably will. Randall, let me throw it to you. What do you got for the past week? Yeah, overall, really good week. But two things. I mean, can I stop running into teams that decide to have the greatest three-point shooting night in the last two years when I go against them? Uh, Portland at home against Loyola Marymount, 13 of 25. I think they had 13 combined threes in the prior three games. And then Tulsa, what happened to you? I mean, we show up against Houston, we show up against Memphis, and then we get an early start up at Temple, and we start we can't guard the three-pointer for the first half. And I had a bad vibe on that. Get a technical foul right to start the game like a minute in. You know, like for some reason, the, the mojo isn't with you. But good week overall. But enough of these teams that are shooting like 28% from three-point range. Loyola Marymount, I mean, they must have hit like six, seven consecutive threes in a row. Very frustrating, but, you know. It is what it is. Tulsa, Frank Haith, I'm backing you here against social media. Can you show up against Temple? He hates me. Uh, Colin, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, all these teams I'm going to talk about are intertwined. So we started off last weekend taking Oklahoma outright, gets the victory over Kansas. And, you know, we said we're going to tie Kansas and uh, I'm going to fade them on the road against Tennessee. We got some great Big 12 SEC action coming up this weekend. But to stay specifically in the Big 12. You want to talk about broken offenses or a broken half-court offense. I thought what Texas put on display against Oklahoma, who went on the road, who didn't have the refs in their back pocket, and I didn't think they would shoot as hot. Oklahoma, who's like 280th in perimeter defense, completely shuts Texas down. This is like one of the worst nights I've ever seen. Looked absolutely terrible. And now I'm sitting here faced with a decision to make on Saturday against a Kentucky team that showed signs of life. I mean, one of the worst effective field goal percentages in the country showed signs of life and then gave it all away at the very end against Alabama, a team that, you know, we're, we're, this podcast is going to be a little, it's going to be a hot topic here. What we think about Alabama, but Kentucky had that game the entire time, blew it away. And I feel like with Kentucky's size, I, I want to back them against Texas, especially watching what Texas did in the half court offense against OU. This is tough because I got Texas just coming off a shitty performance. I got Kentucky who's trying to show signs of life. 
each of those teams need a win. Oklahoma's perimeter D, yeah, that is their main weakness. Their offense is playing really well, but um, yeah, they can't really guard the perimeter, which is an interesting matchup this weekend against Alabama, who lives on the perimeter. Uh, and we'll talk some Alabama. We're going to talk this week. We have our futures portfolio. I'm not a god. I can't see everyone's future, only my own. We'll do our Friday night six pack, which went five and one last week. We'll bring the guys from Three Men Week back for that. We will talk with BJ Reigns at BJ Reigns on Twitter about some. I talked with him earlier about some Mountain West basketball, specifically focusing on the top four teams Boise State, Colorado State, which we'll talk about, uh, Utah State, and San Diego State. We'll close with that. Um, and then we'll talk some, throw it around the horn and talk some Saturday spots. But let's start with uh, some looking into the futures. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. We have so far St. Louis, I think uh, at 125 to one. We have Florida State, 38 to one. Lenny! It's Leonard, like I told you before. Did you? I must have forgot. That was Collins minus St. Louis. Randall is up this week, and I will. Shut up there. I'll let Randall introduce his trio of teams that he brought this week, and uh, I'll start by knocking off one. Colin will knock the other off, and then we'll have our third team in our podcast futures portfolio. What do you got, Randall? So, gentlemen, I wanted to go with two big conference teams and then one mid-major because the mid-majors are fun, but we're looking for teams that can really make a run here at the title. So let's start. Alabama 22-1 to is what I have it at. I was on this team all year. I cooled on them at the beginning. I wasn't sure when that non-competitive loss against Stanford happened. And then two losses in a three-game span that included to Clemson when Clemson was good. And they played Furman at home by three, but they didn't cover. And then a two-point loss to Western Kentucky. But since that, the Crimson have been a buzzsaw. They aren't just winning. They're winning these games by, like, double digits. They beat Mississippi, the good defensive team, one by 18. They took Tennessee. They exposed them. Emperor's close game. Comfortable eight-point win. Florida by 15, Kentucky twice for the first time in forever. And then LSU, they bombed by 30. They have that magical top 20, both offensive and defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. They're 15th and no, 8th and D. Within the SEC, which is one of the best conferences in the country, they're first in offense and defensive efficiency, first in both. They're holding their opponents 26% from three-point range, 42% from two-point range. They do make their free throws, which we've talked about, 74%. Nate Oates has basically Buffalo South, right? So they shoot it, they drive it, they play D. That's a dangerous combination in the tournament. If you're looking for a team that can beat Gonzaga and Baylor, assuming you have to go through them at some point, I think this is your team. The biggest thing I've seen is unselfishness. They just pass the ball around the arc and they wait for the mismatch and they drive it. Now they don't have Jordan Bruner, six for 10 big guy from Yale. He was Ivy League player of the year. He's essential because they don't really rebound and have a great interior game. He has meniscus surgery, but he's going to be back where they need him because I don't think we're going 23 from 43 from deep like they get against the LSU. They're battle-tested. It reminds me that Oates' style does win. We saw it in Buffalo. They crushed Arizona when Arizona was a fourth seed in the tournament. Then they ran into Texas Tech the next year. Texas Tech was all the way to the final. So we know this style can do well in the tournament. Herb Jones, Petty and the Heartbreakers, everyone, Bama guys, 22 to 1. Yeah, Herb Jones, lockdown defender. Um, look, I, I've i come around a little bit on Alabama. Um, the problem is we're, pro- we're 
we would be buying them at their high point. I do think that they're running well from a three-point percentage standpoint on both offense and defense. I think they're shooting in conference, they're shooting like 42% and holding teams to like 29%. That's not going to keep up. Bruner, by the way, yeah, he is important for that interior presence. And I think he should be back like mid-February is what they expect. But they are shooting a little over their heads. I mean, yeah, Petty, you expect him to be over 40%. But a guy like Herb Jones, who's great to have as just a lockdown defender if you need to take someone out of the game, he's shooting like 50%. I mean, he's like this, he's probably like, a, I think, what, like a 20% lifetime shooter from three. So there's a couple guys Quinterly shooting over his head. Other teams just haven't been able to make a shot. But their defensive numbers speak for themselves. This team plays really good defense. They play an analytically brilliant game. They, they're just going to take a million threes. So it's a high variance team, right? They're going to take a million threes and then they're going to try and put it back. They're not going to take any mid range shots. So it's a high variance team. You know, the thing that scares me about Alabama, the reason I've come around on them is whether their defense has played the best two weeks. But if you are looking for a future for someone that can beat a Gonzaga or a Baylor, it's not a bad choice because they, they're going to, if they, they have a game where they put up 45 threes and they make 22 of them, it'll be hard to beat. And that's probably what you'll need to do against Gonzaga and Baylor. Colin, what are your thoughts on on Alabama? Listen, I you mentioned all the things that are great about Alabama, but the things that worry me is their offensive block percentage and their offensive steal percentage. They have no ball security. They rank 296th, and you know they're getting blocked at a rate of 341st in the country. And I, I know that we talk about they're shooting about 2% better at home than they are on the road. So, you know, when we get to neutral sites for the SEC tournament, whenever they're playing in the state of Indiana for the for March Madness, you know, I don't expect the three-pointers to fall off that much. Uh, I, I think the thing that covers all that up is their average possession length is about 14 seconds. They rank fourth in the nation. So when you're jacking that many shots that fast, you can cover up some of the holes you have. Yeah, they want to play fast. They want to shoot threes. Uh, but their defense has really impressed me. What do you got next, Randall? Well, right church, wrong pew. Similar with Creighton out of the Big East. Now, I got them at 23-1. to one. They can score. This year's no different. They're eighth best in adjusted offensive efficiency, and they're shooting blistering 37.4 from beyond the arc. And that's important, guys. They generate 38% of their points from beyond there. Now, they don't rebound well. Alabama actually rebounds a little bit better. But Creighton is much better with limiting turnovers. They don't turn the ball over. Zagorowski was hurt to start the year. He didn't look right. He's coming around. He had a hamstring issue for a couple games. He does make a difference because one of their two losses, which I think knocked down their their price a little bit because they were pretty hot for a while, was when they collapsed at Butler. And that's because he wasn't there. They are an experienced team. They got 70% of their minutes with minutes continuity. Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, they're seniors. They've shown me guys that they can do a variety of things. They can play from ahead. They blew out Seton Hall at home. They can play a close game against a good opponent on the road. That's Kansas. They lost by one at the Fog when Zagorowski missed a free throw, but they certainly played well there, and Kansas was was much better and, and viewed much better than they are right now. Or they have a comeback like last night, which is really where it came in my mind. They were dead in the water, down 19 at Seton Hall. They come all the way back, so they're resilient. Solid coach, lightning in a bottle odds here because they if they get hot and they beat Villanova, these odds are going to go through the roof. So they're still sort of lurking behind the Wildcats, 23 to one on a team from a power five conference. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I would say I 23 to one on Creighton. I do think has a bit of value. If they look, their defense is a little better than it was last year. That, that's the kind of the question with them. Are, are they, are they soft, right? That's, that's that comeback showed me a lot last night, but are they, you know, can they be bullied around? Can they get enough stops? 
their offense is beautiful. And Mitch Ballack, he was he was slumping for a while. He broke out. He can really shoot. They can shoot. And when a fr- friend of the podcast, Jordan Majewski, at your Cubs Dan on Twitter, I'm sure you're familiar with him. I was texting with him earlier, and I was like, "Who? Would, if you had to take five teams, five teams, you go to war with five teams that could beat Gonzaga." And like that, you have that you have to take the war. And they're going to play Gonzaga and Baylor in back-to-back games. Say that's like the your what you have to do in the final four. Presumably, you'd only have to beat one of them because they're probably going to be on opposite sides. But just a thought exercise, you know. He, he Jordan originally said Michigan, Virginia, Alabama, Florida State. So we have Florida State, which is one of our teams. And then he did question marks and he said, "I, I don't know. So don't have a fifth Tennessee. Maybe my response was." You know, maybe Creighton or Nova on the premise that you aren't really going to stop Gonzaga or Baylor much. So you just need to shoot and make a ton of threes and go bonkers and hope that they're just a little off from outside. So he ultimately said, yeah, replace Tennessee with Nova for me. But that's where Creighton fits in for me. High variance team, great offense. On their best day, if they're if they're lights out from three, they can they can put up points with anybody in the country. And again, a high variance team, which is what you want with a lot of talent on offense, they're going to shoot a lot of threes, right? As you mentioned. And so that, that's what I do like about Creighton. If they can just get a little tougher on the defensive end, because they're, and they're going to struggle on the glass. But uh, that's what I like about Creighton. Uh, Colin, what about you and the Jays? I sent a lot of cash uh, to Vegas back in October because Creighton was a team that I wanted money on preseason. 60 to one got him in the bank. So I can't say anything negative about him because I still believe in every, the reason why I bet them. I mean, we're talking 23rd and minutes continuity, 43rd and experience. Uh, this is a team that got cut short last season with an amazing blazing three point run. What worries me about Creighton is when we go into March madness, I desperately like to have offensive rebound percentage and free throw rate in my back pocket Creighton right now, 272nd in offensive rebound percentage, and they're only getting to the line at a rank of 268th. They're not drawing fouls and getting to the line, and those are crucial points. Those are crucial opportunities that teams need to advance and cover spreads. So if they go cold on the three-point line, it's not going to be a happy ending. The free throw shooting, what they're? I think they're they're bad this year, right? Yeah, two hundred ninety eighth. I mean, they they're not they're they're shooting sixty five percent. It hasn't been great in conference either, down to sixty two percent in Big East play. Mahoney's sixty seven. He's thirty three of forty nine from the line. Now Bishop is. I think he was bad last year too. But one of the things that you could see some positive regression there is. Mahoney last year was 61 of 69 from the line. He was like an 89% free throw shooter. You know, and Alexander's 87%. Bishop was bad last year. Jefferson was also bad. Zigorowski's good from the line, and, and Ballack's going to be good. So maybe you see a, some positive regression there. Because last year, they were, you know, 75% from the line, which was top 60 in the nation. So I, I don't worry so much about that. But, yeah, if they have an off-shooting night, they're not getting second chance points, and uh, they could they could lose to someone in the second round easily. Uh, what do you got for your third pick, Randall? Uh, last one here comes the mid major, and I've had a love affair with this team all year. Colorado State out in the Mountain West, two hundred and fifty to one. Now, when you think Mountain West, right? We talked Utah State last week, San Diego State, of course, Boise State. So going four deep in the Mountain West, so a little counterintuitive. But Colorado State may be the best team in the conference. They smacked around Boise State last night. 
winning by 22. Watch that game. It was non-competitive. They're now 9-2 and two in conference if they win Friday, which, by the way, I think they will. I think they will beat Boise again. I don't think we're going to see the back, back and forth theory because they were really in control. They'd be tied atop the conference with Utah State. They'd beat San Diego State on the road in a legendary comeback down 26 at Utah State and blitz Boise. Nico Medved is a great coach, Furman Drake, so he's got the lineage, and their offense is at the top of the league and one of the best in the country, 39% from three. 54% from two-point range, 77% goes back to Colin talking about those free throws. They have one of the best players that you've never heard of, Isaiah Stevens, Mountain West Freshman of the Year last year, superior ball handler, runs the show. Adam Thistlewood is your, your generic shooter from outside. He spreads the defense. Kendall Moore, defense slasher and shooter. By the way, he missed one game as well. He was out there, so that was one of their losses. And David Roddy is the key. He's listed as a guard, yet he defends all the bigs on the other team. He avoids foul trouble. He's 6'5", 252, so he's like a fire plug. Think of Charles Oakley, but shooting 35% from three-point range. Would they struggle against a team like Illinois that can shoot with a big? Of course they would. But George Mason, VCU, that type of ilk, absolutely. We had Laranega. We had Shaka. Now we have Medved. They shoot the three. They have a solid point guard. They can get hot. And, of course, no more impressive win than that San Diego State game where they showed us something coming from behind. So love the Rams, and they recovered after a brutal 33-point performance at St. Mary's. They lost that game on December 15th. They really played poorly, so I think people cooled on them. I will give you this year, gentlemen's 12-seed upset of a five, the Colorado State Rams. What do you think? If you want value, there's your value. Uh, I love Colorado State. I think that it's probably a year too soon on them. They have been running well, too. I mean, they're shooting 40% from three and holding teams under 30%. I don't think that they're, – they're a really good shooting team. I don't think they maintain both of those levels on each end of the floor. But they are a really good shooting team. I love Stevens. The great thing about this team and kind of the, the thing that makes me hesitant about them this year is they are very young. Um, and next year, I mean, I am I am all about this team because I'm a huge – we talk about – I think talk about this with BJ later – uh, I'm a huge Medved fan, their coach, and the, they're all sophomores and juniors. As long as no one leaves, they're bringing this entire team back next year. Roddy the body, look up his football highlights. Uh, he's a quarterback, got D1 offers to play quarterback. He's a monster. I love Stevens at the point. Really well-coached team. I just think that, and I agree with you, I hope they get in. I think they get in, and especially if they win tomorrow night, I think that they'll have a really good shot and probably control their own destiny. They're certainly – very capable and would be a darling of my bracket, potentially. Colin, thoughts on uh, Colorado State? Well, I mean, their offensive rebounding is gross, right? 327th, but, you know, you can't complain about anything else that you're seeing here. As a team that plays defense, effective field goal percentage are 18th in the nation. You guys know me when it comes to futures. I like to look at a scheduling peak and valley. There's a time to buy. There's a time to lay off. Uh, you know, with Big Ten teams, you're going to face a whole bunch of top 10 teams in a row. You might want to wait till that's over with, take some losses and get a better number. Colorado State already beat Utah State on their home floor, already beat Boise State. As we record this podcast, going to play Boise State again on Friday night. Uh, the rest of their schedule is cake. I mean, we're talking 183rd Wyoming, New Mexico, Northern Colorado, Nevada, Air Force, until the Mountain West Conference Tournament. The rest of the schedule is absolute cake. They are going to go on a winning streak like there's, you know, and, and so the best time to buy 
is right now. So I'm glad it was brought up now because this is the time to buy, not in three weeks. All right. So we've revealed the three. We've had some feedback. Uh, I guess it's my, I'll start. I got to cut one. We have our long shot in St. Louis. This is a year where we have Gonzaga. We have Baylor. There's, they look significantly better than every other team in the country. We have two monsters. You could argue maybe Michigan has been playing well enough. To, I mean, I still have them, what, I think like five points below. But Iowa was up. They were considered number three. We've seen their flaws defensively. Tennessee was, you know, number three. We've seen their flaws offensively. Michigan's now on a break. It's like, who is this third team? I don't know. But we have two monsters. We need to find teams as we build this portfolio. We have St. Louis that could potentially beat one of these teams. So I think it's a year too early on Colorado State. I love them. Hint, hint, probably going to have a future on them next year. I wish I could say Colorado State, but I think we have – we might have one more long shot, but we have our long shot already. We have Florida State, who, as I said, they're one of the teams I think that could beat Gonzaga or Baylor. And the two teams that you offered, Creighton and Alabama, are high-variance, three-point-based offenses that on when they're, when they're on and when they're good – they can keep up with these teams. And that's what you need to do because I don't think many teams are getting many stops. So I'm going to leave it to Colin to choose because I'm cutting Colorado State. Love you, Medved. Love you, Rams. Love you, Colorado State. We'll be on you next year, almost guaranteed, depending on the number, but uh, for a future. So, Colin, up to you. Who are you cut? Yeah, I agree that you can't have too many long shots in your portfolio. When it comes between Bama at 22 to 1 and Creighton 23 to 1, drum roll. <laughs> for me we're chucking Creighton and that's not because I dislike them I have them 61 I love Creighton as a team but remember guys the buying into a market investing into a market and assuming I'm able to sell and buy at any time in the gambling market you know Creighton is a team that still has Nova twice Creighton is a team that still has DePaul twice you say DePaul basketball they suck but they are the second best perimeter defensive team in the conference they can give Creighton some trouble so we'll see if Creighton can survive that so Creighton's schedule from here on out is not a cakewalk and which means they could take some losses which means I don't think this 23 to 1 on Creighton is going anywhere conference tournament Nova twice there's gonna be times to buy them let's flip and look at Alabama you have to buy them now now I've already got SEC futures on Alabama so you know, if you can get down on 22 to one in Alabama, this is it. Let's look at the toughest games remaining at OU. Yeah. We already mentioned that OU has issues defending the perimeter. I can't wait to see that at Arkansas on February 24th. I mean, listen, I mean, we're going to need muscleman's energy in every single player for the hogs to get this done. So, uh, you know, they're, they're right now in bracketology, Alabama is projected as a two seed. So we're talking about taking a 22 to one on a team that has a soft schedule for the rest of the year is playing defense shoots threes at a lightning pace projected at a two seed should win their conference tournament. It's a slam dunk. It's Alabama right now at this price point at this point in the schedule in the season. Yeah. I mean, the, the better I mean, just takes like we could have got this at 41 61. <clears throat> I've been trashing them too. And now they're our third team in the futures portfolio, but for the reasons I mentioned, look, they had some shooting regression the past couple of games and their defense stepped up, which is one of the things that has made me come around some of their defensive splits. So don't despise it because they're one of the high variance teams that if you're going to pick 
out of the handful of teams, the six or seven that you think could be, you know, realistically beat Gonzaga or Baylor, they're probably in that because of their style of play. Randall, thoughts on our decision? Yeah, I think that's the move, guys, because you can't help but but think when you're going for a future that you have to say, can this team beat Gonzaga and or Baylor? They, they may have to beat them twice, beat two of those teams. And you're looking at a team that's hot from three. They've had some big games. They certainly they can be fragile, but they're doing it without Bruner. So that means the other people in the ancillary roles are going to have to step up. They have a style. They're battle tested. If you're going to go for a future and you're looking at it, not for value for a small school, you're looking for a big school and a power five. You have to say to yourself, can I beat Baylor and that the way they play and their defense? And can I run with Gonzaga? So I think it's a good choice. Yeah, their their defense from everything I've seen is better than Creighton's and that could be the difference for two similarly styled teams as far as three-point percentage. All right, that's our third team. We now have St. Louis, 125 to one, Florida State, 38 to one. Love that price point. And Alabama, 22 to one. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Let's move on to our Friday night six-pack. Six guys, six picks. It's a College Hoops weekend six-pack. All right, so we're now joined by the newest contributors to our College Hoops family here at the Action Network, Kai McEwen. Jim Root and Matt Cox, better known as the Three Man Weave. They join us every week this season to help us build our weekend six pack, six picks for the Friday night college hoop slate. You can catch them on Twitter at 3MW underscore CBB and on the Three Man Weave podcast. Last week, the six pack went five and one, and the Three Man Weave went an absolutely sweat free three and oh. So, how'd it feel, boys, to not have uh, the Twitter trolls come at you for at least one weekend? Hold on. Uh, just had to find the nearest piece of mahogany wood. Uh, we have to make sure we we pay tribute to the superstitious gambling gods above. Feels great, but this organization is a process-driven group. Do not get too high when we're high. Do not get too low when we're low. Stay the course. Stay hungry. Stay humble. Yep, I completely agree. You're going to have 0-6 Friday nights. We're going to have 5-1, and 6-0. Big Saturdays, small Saturdays, it's an absolute grind. If you can't handle the grind, if you can't handle the swings, the bad beats, the losing nights, the winning nights, just relax and then come come back and join us on March. Or just listen to the podcast, enjoy it, and, you know, that's smaller. But college basketball is a grind. you got to embrace it. By the way, the reason that we are 5, we went 5-1 and, and not 6-0 and was uh, Colin, he did not get a winner. I'm going to give him a chance to comment because he went with the San Diego State under and my favorite comment on twitter i received over the past two weeks was colin finally got his san diego state over um which i was dying at because those listening to the college football podcast know that colin was trying to bet san diego state overs all year 
to no avail. And then uh, he went with the San Diego State under in college basketball, and that went over. Uh, comments, Colin? Air Force basketball scored 16 points uh, in the first half, and that game sailed over the t- – the total was – I'm sorry, guys, 123. Air Force scored 16 points in the first half, and I lost. I, think, I believe at some point the score was 80 to 23. San Diego State just ran. So Air Force's defense may be the worst in the country. I've never seen a performance like that in my life. You haven't lived until you've lost an under on a team that only scored 16 points in the first half. Safe to say uh, San Jose State tonight getting five and a half against Air Force. I can know where you're going with that. How? I, I have that under, unfortunately. Jesus. Um, <laughs> back to the three-man weave, guys. Let's get to their picks. We will start it off with you, Kai. Yes, sir. We're going North Dakota State. Minus two, minus two and a half. Heck, I take it up to four. Once again, the Bison are a top contender in the Summit League. Currently sitting at seven and one in league play. And tonight they get a shorthanded UMKC team. The Ruse will be without leading scorer Brandon McKissick. Also, Marvin Nesbitt might still be out, as well as Demarius Pitts. The Ruse are the walking wounded. McKissick, though, is the key. Without him, the Ruse are helpless offensively, and they're going up against one of the best defenses in the league in North Dakota State. It wouldn't shock me to see UMKC score in the 40s tonight. On the other end, the Ruse had no answer for North Dakota State's size. The Bison are a top 30 team in terms of size. The Ruse, 251st in size per Kempom. It should be a field day for Rocky Kreuzer and company. This spread will surely skyrocket. I'm taking it anything up to four, even a smaller play on five. North Dakota State, Bison. Yep, don't hate that at all, Kai. I make this, what, mm, 3.6, and that's assuming McKissick would play. So, yeah, it, yeah, and he's very important to everything that UMKC does. So I do not hate it at all. By the way, home conference dogs, home conference dogs. I'm still trying to figure out home court in certain situations. Like to me, it's hard to quantify, but I would bump certain teams in certain situations. I bump their home court a little more for like a huge game with with tourney implications and I know the crowd is going to be crazy and it's going to influence the refs you missed that a little bit in certain spots this year home conference dogs are 158 and 205 158 205 and 7 43 and a half percent not covering by an average about one point per game home court on is right about two points on average so far this year that's still only a sample size what I just said about 360 games so it's not huge but Home conference dogs not doing well. Home conference dogs with seven or more points, just a little FYI. 33-75-2. against the spread for what it's worth. So uh don't hate that call there on backing the bison. All right, Jim, it's up to you. And it's time to find out if we're gonna have the same pick for the third week in a row. What do you got? Tiny programs, big winners. It's time for your small school bet of the week. I fully endorse that North Dakota State pick, but I'm going even further west here. Out to the wild, wild whack. Got Tarleton State on the road at Utah Valley. Intriguing coaching matchup here. Billy the Clyde Gillespie back at Division I with a new Division I program in the Texans. Taking on Mark the Mad Dog Madsen of L.A. Laker fame. Won a, won a title with the Lakers in the NBA. 
I think this matchup sets up great for the Texans. They're a team that wants to spread you out offensively, attack off the bounce, a bunch of different guys that can score off the dribble. And that has been a huge weakness for this Utah Valley team. They play two lumbering big men. You can really drive on them, get to the rim, spread them out and hit shots, a thing that Tarleton State also does. On the other end, Tarleton State wants to pressure you. They want to force turnovers. The Utah Valley backcourt is definitely the, that roster's weakness. There is some concern on the glass here. Utah Valley's monstrous big men, Fardos Imac, Evan Cole, both those guys can really dominate in the glass. But Tarleton State held up against a similar monstrous front court in Grand Canyon. So I like Tarleton State here, plus seven and a half. I would take it down to plus six. Let's ride with the Texans, baby. Billy Clyde, take us home. Jim, for the first time in college basketball weekend six pack history, I do not have the same pick as you. I also I don't disagree with your reasoning, but I make this over seven, so I can't play Tarleton State, who I did cash on against Texas A&M earlier in the year. This was my first, obviously, first time ever winning a bet on Tarleton State, which is in Stephenville, Texas. I think it's Billy Gillespie coaches them, and it's a offshoot of Texas A&M, I believe. I think it's like a sister school of Texas A&M. Does that make any sense at all, or am I just making that up? Uh, Tarleton State. They were known as the Plowboys. That's awesome. I love that name. Maybe I'll bet them just because of that. All right, Tarleton State, it is. We have the Tritons cash for us last week. And uh, now we will try to get the Texans, a.k.a. the Plowboys. All right, Matt, finish us off here. What do you got? Yeah, I'm staying out west. In fact, I'm going even more west, up to NorCal for my best bet, the UC Davis Aggies. For those who remember, you might recall this is the exact same team I faded last week. So why am I now flip-flopping here with only seven days in between that anti-UC Davis play last week? Well, for starters, I was on like one of the back-to-back against UC San Diego in the second leg of that back-to-back coming off the long layoff for the Yag. We talked about the strict protocols in place in Northern California. UC Davis played like the team we thought they would in the preseason. They have pace and space for days led by two Dynamo guards and Damian Squire and Ezra Manhan. They got it done against the Tritons. Now they're feeling good. They're starting to play with some confidence, some swagger, entering a big weekend series against the class of the Big West right now. That's UC Santa Barbara, who have just been decimating the dregs of this conference. They beat UC Northridge by, I think, 150. You checked my math on that last weekend. The silver lining of how well UC Santa Barbara has been playing is that just has inflated their analytic rankings. The spread is so closely tied to Kempom, Bart Torvik, all of those numerical rankings, as we know. So that in, in turn presents a value play here for UC Davis. My handicap has this anywhere around four and a half to five. I would take the Aggies up to seven. Most of the openers have around eight. Trust the pace and space, the shooting, the small ball perimeter oriented attack of the Aggies here. All right, Matt's going with UC Davis. Uh, I love UC Santa Barbara. I, I make this way higher. I still have major questions about UC Davis's defense and UC Davis is pretty much not going to get uh, a single offensive rebound. So you better hope they make their shots. Um, but I love the three picks for the three men. We, we have North Dakota state, Tarleton state and UC Davis. It's time for our three to complete the six pack. I will start for my weekend six pack pick. I'm going to get a little risky here. It's one of the reasons why it's been like a, I'm, I'm 84, 73 and seven on the year. Like, meh, 53%. Meh. Like, and 
one of the couple of things that I'm figuring out, I mentioned home court, these back-to-backs. By the way, there's been no edge really in back-to-backs. If you lose the first game, if you didn't cover the first game, teams with breaks, teams with off two-week breaks, 46, 62, and three, 42.6%. But again, sample size of 110 games. Overs, you know, paces up a little bit in conference. Overs are hitting about 52% in conference play. One of the most intriguing things that I've seen, I don't know if it means anything or just complete noise. If the first game of a back-to-back, when you play the same team, back-to-back days, if the first game goes under, the over the next day, 57.5%. I think part of that, you know, could be noise. I still need more of a sample size and to dig in there. There also could be like a market overreaction. You know, Marshall FIU, for example, Marshall wins 79-66. Game goes way under 157 and a half. They play the next day. The total is one closes 154. Final score 89-72. San Jose State, New Mexico. They played on a Thursday. Over under 145 and a half. I think it was an afternoon game. 67-51 final. Way under. Next day, total 141 and a half, final score 83-71. So there's part of that. There's also adjustments that teams make, like, okay, uh, let's didn't didn't work us slowing it down. Let's let's speed it up here. There's some familiarity. So there's a lot to dig into there. But these are some of the things that is just making this year tough. And we are getting smarter with each passing day, and hopefully it pays off at the end, like college football. The reason I I preface all this is I am taking for my Weekend six-pack pick, I'm taking a risk with St. Louis, the Billies, who's our podcast team, one-and-a-half-point underdogs at Richmond. I have them as about a two-point favorite. Now, they just had a long layoff, enormous layoff, and then they played at home against Dayton. I don't really take too much from that game. Others could, but I just think that you you have to – these teams have not been performing well at these long breaks. They didn't play. Their last game was December 23rd. They went over a month without playing, and they lost 76-71 the day. They came out really rusty in the first half. I don't put too much stock into that. I also think this is just a brilliant matchup for St. Louis. They should get whatever they want at the rim against Richmond. Uh, Richmond's two-point defense, their interior is so weak. Uh, St. Louis should also get almost every rebound. I mean, St. Louis is a dominant rebounding team, top 30 in offensive and defensive rebounding percentage. Richmond offensive rebounding percentage, 323rd. Uh, I mean, they're not going to get a single offensive rebound, and St. Louis should just get whatever they want at the rim. Richmond is so soft inside. It's just, you know, Richmond has, they run beautiful offense. They can scheme, they can scheme some of their weaknesses away, and but St. Louis is just too physical and too tough. We saw that last season when St. Louis went to Richmond. And this is a Richmond team that was a little tougher than they were this year because they had Nick Sherrod and they don't this year. And St. Louis went there and won 74 to 58. They shot 60% from inside the arc. They went two of 11 from three, you know, 69% from the line. So I think that St. Louis this is a great matchup on a bounce back spot. I'm hoping that, you know, they shook, they shook the rust off in their last game against Dayton. This is just a great matchup inside. For St. Louis, if Richmond reigns from three, I'll tip my cap. But this is just a very soft Richmond team, especially defensively. They have no bench, so I I can see them getting in foul trouble. Hopefully, St. Louis doesn't shoot forty percent from the line, and then Richmond would be in real trouble. Uh, so I think St. Louis bounces back here. There is some risk. 
just one of those years because they are coming off the long layoff. What do you expect here? It is the second game, uh, but uh, I see too much value and like the matchup too much to pass up on the Billies. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Randall. What do you got for your weekend six-pack pick? I love the buy low spot. That one almost made the cut for me. Great call. Folks, we're going to head out to the Big South Conference. I've seen Presbyterian twice, and I've oh. liked what I've seen. I saw them against Winthrop. I saw them against High Point. They played tough against Winthrop. They already played Radford as well. I saw them against High Point. They won on the road by 15 on Monday. They get after you on defense. They force turnovers. 28th in the nation in defensive turnover percentage per Ken Palm. The Blue Hose. That's right, the Blue Hose, folks. Among the top third of the nation in offensive rebounding, they play a Longwood team that hasn't played in over a week. Longwood is 4-8 and eight in conference. All of those games that they've won have been at home. They were swept by Winthrop. No shame there. But then also by USC Upstate, ton of shame there. Longwood defends the three well, but Presbyterian doesn't rely on the three for points. Only 27% of their points come from three. That's 271st in the country. Ken Palm has Longwood favored by four. It opened at three. It's down to two. I'm getting two points with Presbyterian, who I think is the better team at home. I don't know why. I saw Rayshon Harrison. He's a freshman guard that they have. Really athletic, super quick, attacking guy. Turns the ball over a lot but a great athlete there, Trevon Reddish as well. And the big key for me here is that Winston Hill, who's a transfer, became eligible, a D2 transfer. He's played six games with them so far. He is their leading scorer at 14.7 points per game and 6.5 rebounds. So I don't think people even realize that he has then become eligible and now this team is really tough. So I like them at home. I'm getting points against Longwood. The Blue Hose, folks, Presbyterian plus two. I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, as soon as you mentioned Presbyterian, they're a team that's been rising up my power ratings because now they have Hill and Harrison back, and uh, they will press you. They'll put pressure on you. Longwood has been decent against the press so far this year, but you can turn them over. Uh, Love it. The Blue Hose. Colin, don't let us down this week. What do you got? Uh, Believe it or not, Randall – Kind of halfway stole my pick. It seems to keep happening on this podcast. Uh, we don't tell each other before we record like who we're taking and on the action app. And if you don't have it, go download it. Uh, earlier today, I took under 127 on the Lancers and the Blue Hose because of the tempo in this game. Both teams are outside the top 300 in tempo. Presbyterians dead last in the Big South and effective field goal percentage. And Longwood has the second best perimeter D. Uh, so I don't expect a lot of points in this game, but I, you know, and I will fully back Randall on his pick for the spread. So I'm going to pivot off and I'm going to go over and take Texas State. Texas State minus four currently at the listed at the number. I would suggest getting that and probably not going any higher. But Texas State this is their first home game since December 15th. They're on a huge winning streak right now. Uh, the Bobs have the best D in the fun belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. Uh, they have the best effective field goal percentage on offense. Their ball security is a real issue. They're dead last in, in the Sun Belt in protecting the ball. Uh, but that's not Louisiana's game. The Cajuns are 11th in Sun Belt defense and taking the ball away. So I just think this is a really bad spot for ULL. They can't expose Texas State in their worst aspect. Bobs are the best shooting team in the Sun Belt. First time they've seen their own rims in five weeks, six weeks. Uh, so I'm going to take the Bobs. Well, I hope you're right, Colin, uh, because I was thinking about taking Louisiana. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, Texas State is just on my list of 
teams that is going that are going to get hit by the regression monster. They are shooting for the year 41.6% from three, 47.7% from three in conference. Um, and it's all been uh, on the road, though. They, I mean, they haven't been at home since December 15th. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but like everyone, I mean, K.O. Basbury last year was 22 of 88 from three, 25%. He's 28 of 59, 48% this year. Look, their defense does match up well with Louisiana. These two teams did meet on New Year's Day on January 2nd, I think. Louisiana won one game in overtime. Texas State did win the other game pretty comfortably, and their defense does generally match up well with Bob Marlin's offense. But Texas State does have some regression coming from them. But uh, hopefully not tomorrow night. All right, there you have it. Those are our six. It's a, a beautiful collection of teams. We have Kai, who went with North Dakota State, Jim with Tarleton State, Matt with UC Davis. I went with St. Louis. I feel boring going with St. Louis. Randall went with the Blue Hose of Presbyterian, and Colin went with the Bobs, Texas State. I think Colin thinks this is a college football podcast. Going with San Diego State totals and the Bobs. All right, that'll do it for the weekend six-pack. All right, let's move on to Saturday, and we'll go around the horn. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. All right, I'll start. I'm going to bring up a team that has let me down barely in two games. Loyola, Maryland, our boy, Santi Aldama. Loyola, Maryland, they started late. Their first game was January 16th, so I think it took some time to get their legs. But they're 0-4. They got swept in a home and away against Lafayette, and then swept in a home and away against American. But they lost those games by 2-2-1-2 two, two, and 2 in triple overtime. 0-4 by a combined 7 points. Navy has been running pretty good. This is a team that I wasn't that high on coming into the year. You know, they lost Evan Wick, who was just so important to that team last year. They are shooting over their heads, I think. They're getting fortunate in some close games. If you trust Kebpom, which you should, uh, they're number one in the in the luck rating. So this is a team that I think is due for some regression if they're a 10-2 start. I think Loyola, Maryland hangs here. Yeah, I make this like four and a half-ish. Kenpom makes it seven. So let's hope that we can get a good number on Santi Aldama and the Loyola Greyhounds. Randall, what do you got? I'm going to roll with the Sharif Cooper effect here. Auburn's going to Baylor. So we got a little SEC Big 12 matchup. Sharif Cooper has his team at a completely different level. This line is going to be very inflated. I mean, we're talking about 15, something like that. He has changed this team since he joined there. They played a tough game against Alabama, which obviously looks really good. They're they're at Baylor, by the way, just so everyone knows. At Baylor, yep. They beat Georgia. They beat Kentucky. They beat South Carolina. They dropped 100 on South Carolina, beat Missouri, and lost at Arkansas by two. I just think Cooper is that good. He has made players, role players like Alan Flanagan and JT Thor. He has made them elevated their game into their shooting, their rebounding. Auburn does get on the offensive boards, which is critical against Baylor. 
listen, I just think Cooper's going to keep it close. Auburn is not in the NC tournament this year. So games like this are a showcase for him and for the team. This is what they have to play for. In many ways, this is going to be their big game of the year. This is their chance. So they're going to play Baylor. Baylor's at home. They turn the ball over a little bit. We've seen some teams hang around with them. Kansas, even though they were shooting the lights out, Baylor, Kansas hung around with them. Auburn right now is playing on a better level in Kansas. They had Oklahoma who came in and kept it within 15. I like it, the unfamiliarity, and I'm not betting against Cooper anymore. So I'm going to take it. It looks like it's 17. I mean, if you're getting a number north of 15, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to take the Tigers going against the undefeated Bears to at least cover the number. Yeah, I assure you Cooper has been amazing, amazing in six games. Some of the assists that he has, and yeah, the team is significantly different. It's a team that since he's been back and since I've been watching them, it's a team that I've just been shooting up my power ratings. And it's you have to sometimes you have to make these manual adjustments because you can't look at their whole body of work for some of their ratings because they're just a completely different team with Cooper in the six games that he's played. Um, and yeah, I make this like I see Kempa makes it like 17. I make it like 14 yep, I agree. and a half-ish. So yeah, 15 above 15. I think would be lovely. If we get 17, that'd be great. Uh, Colin, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to add on to that Sharif Cooper statement because, I mean, seeing him firsthand and what he did to the Razorbacks, I mean, they had a 20-point lead at one point in the first half and then went to the half around 12 or 13, uh, kind of a lead on that. Musselman changed it up and I, you know, put all five defenders on Cooper and finally was able to barely narrowly get the win and avoid a three pointer there at the end. But that's not the only time this has happened with Cooper. Uh, I mean, in the first half, they're just, he's blitzing teams and they don't know what to do with them. They, 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 you know, can come back on Auburn in the second half. So to add on to Randall's play, I, I don't see any reason why you're not taking a first half spread and a first half money line. If you're getting seven, eight, whatever, take some money line too, because Auburn is just blitzing the hell out of teams in the first half. For me, I'm going to stay in this whole Big 12 SEC rivalry weekend, and I'm going to go with a big one, the Kentucky-Texas game. I'm going to say under 134. Uh, the Horns the other night, I mean, 6 of 25 from 3 and a loss to OU. OU's terrible at defending the perimeter, and Texas went 6 of 25. That's supposed to be their bread and butter. Now they're going to get a Kentucky team that you know has the length to get hands in your face and, and to suffocate you. Uh, you know, Kentucky's got the length and low post scoring. I think that this is going to be a low scoring game. Ken Palm projects 134. I'll take an under on that. Don't hate that at all. Uh, next, I'll throw out uh, some Bowling Green. Bowling Green and my guy Justin Turner, who I think is going to have a huge game. This is a big rivalry against Toledo, who's been a covering machine by the way, but Bowling Green has lost three straight. They lost to Akron. They lost to Miami of Ohio on the road, then Kent State on the road. They now come home for Toledo and the Stroh Center. Uh, I think this Toledo offense is awesome. They have, you know, four, they have a bunch of guys who can shoot. They have four guys who can dribble and put it on the deck. I mean, it's, it's a very versatile, well-run, efficient offense. There's a lot to like about their offense. It starts with Marion Jackson, who's just a stud. But this team it does have some weaknesses on defense. I think Bowling Green's pick-and-roll offense with Turner can really do whatever it wants here against Toledo, who's getting by really just on a lot of shooting luck. I mean, number one, they're shooting 40% from three. 
yeah, I mean, they're a good shooting team. They were 37% last year. So maybe that dips a little bit, but I mean, they're holding the, the three point defense is what's really been extreme last year. They were, you know, outside the top 250 in three point defense. This is a team this year that is holding teams to 29% from three in conference play. They're shooting, you know, almost 10 points higher from three than they're giving up. Defense is not that good. They're really soft inside. They're really soft on the defensive boards. Uh, I think Turner and the pick and roll can really do whatever he wants, and they can keep up with Toledo here in a good buy low spot. There should be some regression coming for Toledo. There should also be some positive regression coming for Trey Diggs. He's just caught in a funk. This is a perfect game for him to bust out. He's 6 of 31 from three in their last six games, and it's they've really been slumping Bowling Green. Uh, I mean, Trey Diggs is a 40% three-point shooter last year. He's a 36% three-point shooter this year, even with that slump. I think he busts out. Turner goes nuts. I think Bowling Green wins this game. What's Kempom have has this at four? I have this projected at like two, two and a half-ish. So would love to get four here. With the spot and the matchup, some regression I think is going to work in Bowling Green's favor. Uh, so I'm all about my guy, Justin Turner, and the Falcons. How beautiful is Maction? How <laughs> beautiful is Maction? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Where are you going next, Randall? UCF impressed everybody. Beat Florida State back on Saturday, December 19th. That was the anomaly, folks. And we talk about UCF's defense. In conference play in the AAC, they have the worst adjusted defensive efficiency rating of any team. They lose five games in a row, Houston twice, South Florida, Temple, SMU. They play East Carolina without the coach Dooley, who is on COVID quarantine, and they're up big. They come out hot, and then they end up getting the game closed by East Carolina coming back in a coachless spot against an East Carolina team that really struggled against Memphis the game before they have not impressed me. They go on the road to play Wichita State. Wichita State's been very solid. They had a bad game against Memphis last time after beating Cincinnati and Tulsa back-to-back at home. They've played well at home. Ken Palm has it at five. I like Wichita State to come up here. They don't have a lot of great scores, but Etienne has been really, really solid for them. And then the rest are just supportive roles. Udesi, Gilbert, those sort of guys. Etienne's going to show out here. UCF's defense is non-existent. They're going the wrong way. Big bounce back spot for the Shockers here at home. Ken Palm has it at five. That's fine. It reminds me of last week's VCU-Dayton game that I talked about. I see Wichita State winning comfortably here over a UCF team that is, is a shell of what they normally are. I wish I could comment, but I, I just I can't figure out UCF. Uh, Colin, what do you got next? Yeah, I'm going to stay in the Big 12 SEC rivalry, and I'm going to look at taking Texas Tech on back-to-back losses going up against LSU, and it's the rebounds. I mean, both offensive and defensive rebounds. Texas Tech should absolutely dominate this game. I don't see any second-chance points coming out of LSU. So, uh, you know, give me Texas Tech on probably a, a nice a nice buy spot with two consecutive losses. Uh, going on the road, we might get them pretty cheap here. I think Ken Palm calls for a, a Texas Tech minus two on the road, so we'll see if there's a cheap money line in the market. Yeah, don't hate it. I, I, I mean, Texas Tech has been in conference play. Teams are shooting 42% from three, and they're only shooting 31%. Like, they've been running bad. And something to keep in mind with Texas Tech, probably my favorite – I'd have to think about it, but maybe I think my favorite coach right now – in 
all of college basketball is Chris Beard. As far as who I want to make my second half adjustments, he's a wizard when it comes to that. So keep that in mind if uh, LSU is up in the first half. Um, we're going to try this again. This will be the maybe the last time if Vatek, by the way, bad matchup against Virginia. I, I, I wish I could take them. And that's another game where you're just really going to miss the home crowd. But I don't like that matchup for them against Virginia. Stephen F. Austin against Sam Houston State, who I think is due for some regressions. Another one that almost made the cut. But I'm going to go with one that's going to make some of you sick, um, I assume. But I'm going with Georgia Tech against Florida State. (laughs) I'm sick in the head. This is Georgia Tech's Super Bowl. They're, I think, like not the first four out, but maybe the next four out. This team is playing extremely good basketball. They got jobbed at Duke. I mean, they lost by seven, one of the most misleading final scores I've ever seen Duke pulled away late. That game could have went either way. I see your shot from downtown when you're 19 up, and I'm like, fuck Duke. I guess the state education wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck Duke, and fuck that blue Duke shot, what, 22 free throws to Georgia Tech's five? But basically a coin flip game at the end of it. Spoken like a true leader, which is all Shashevsky says he ever wanted to be. That's what I was trained to do. That's why I went to West Point to be a leader. Same with Virginia. They were on the road against Virginia and Duke, and they could have easily won both those games. Virginia went on a 19 to 8 run to win by two in the final 10 minutes of that game. So this Georgia Tech team is playing really well. They will throw a bunch of different zones at you, they will turn you over with their guards led by Alvarado senior laden team. That's one thing that Florida, the one thing where you can look at Florida state and be like, "Eh, they're, they're weak here is their turnovers and they will turn it over. And I think they're 14th in the ACC in turnover percentage at over 20%. So I think Georgia tech can force some turnovers here. Look, they already played earlier in the year at Florida state, Florida state won by 13 Georgia Tech shot 25% from three. Florida State shot 50%. That's kind of been the story of Florida State's year. There's some regression coming in the shooting department, and they're shooting like 43% from three in conference play, and like 85% from the line. But this is – we're probably going to get like three, four, hopefully four plus here. To me, it's a sleepy spot for Florida State. It's like they, they beat their rival Miami Cruz, Cruz against Clemson, Cruz against Louisville. You know, easy win against guys. They're just rolling right now. And then you're, you look at the schedule and it's like, we're going to Georgia Tech, to BC, to Pitt, to Va Tech. It's like, you know, their next three games, Georgia Tech, BC, and Pitt, it seems really sleepy the way that they've been rolling. They'll turn it over. And this Georgia Tech, this game for these seniors who have been through a lot with this program. You know, this game could end up deciding whether or not Georgia Tech makes the tournament. Um, so Moses Wright, Usher, Alvarado, I don't know who's coming back. It's an extra year of eligibility, but this is a max effort game, maybe a sleepy stop, spot for Florida State. Uh, I'm going to roll with the home dog here. Kill me. Randall, where are you going next? Last one for me. I like West Virginia since they lost Shibway. I think they've played well. I think they've, they fit a style that helps them win. 
they're not they're they're getting up and down they're shooting it mcbride makes big shots that was a big win over texas tech texas had played really well mcclung was incredible mcbride hits the shot at the end culver's strong inside and i'm selling on florida here they've had a nice run they beat tennessee at home big they beat georgia away they beat vanderbilt the defense is not doing it they're doing it more with offense that's not their calling card They've covered two of the last three, three of the last five. Now they're playing the West Virginia team that I think is just better than them. They're going to get after them. They're going to force them in, into turnovers. They're going to pressure them. I know Florida plays good defense, but I don't think they have the chops here to win on the road. Ken Palm has it at four. That's going to be a low number, maybe even Florida getting public money here. So I'm sort of fading Mike White, fading Florida, staying with West Virginia and Huggy Bear at home. I think they found the identity that's going to maximize their efficiency and help them win. So I'll take West Virginia later points. Colin, uh, finish this off. Yeah, I mean, that was my last pick. My pick, I take it again, because I did all Big 12 SEC rivalry. I like West Virginia for the pure and simple fact that you're not going to find a bigger discrepancy on Saturday than West Virginia on the offensive glass against Florida on the defensive glass. It is 13th versus 294th. Uh, So the Gators are going to really have some issues. They miss a shot. They're not getting the ball back. No putbacks. Take me home. That'll wrap it up for us on Saturday. I'm going to have a piece out on my favorite Saturday spots. Make sure you check that out on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. And uh, we'll have other pieces out all weekend. Randall's Twitter handle, Colin's Twitter handle. That's at Randall Rant and at underscore Colin one. That's Colin with two L's. Um, Before we get out of here, let's catch up with BJ Rains and talk some Mountain West hoop. From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. All right, now joining us is a friend of the podcast. If you listened last year to our college basketball podcast, we spoke with BJ Rains. You can find him on Twitter at BJ Rains, Boise State beat writer at the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sports. Also an AP Top 25 hoops voter. We're going to talk some Mountain West Conference basketball, but uh, first, uh, how are things, BJ? Oh, doing great. Always uh, appreciate getting to chat with you, and thanks for having me on, man. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, make sure you check out BJ's stuff on Twitter, uh, especially if you want to keep tabs on Boise State. Look, the bottom of the Mountain West is, is a train wreck. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go to San Jose State, who I think is playing at, at Dixie State's gym and Air Force. And uh, Look, UNLV has some talent with Bryce Hamilton. Nevada has some interesting transfers. Fresno, there's some interesting pieces. But the, the Mountain West, let's focus on the top four teams here and try and differentiate you know, who's better, what are the strengths and weaknesses of each. And we have to start with Boise State. Of course, we talked last year about this is the year for Boise State. I was excited about potentially investing in a a future on them. I worried a little bit about the the pandemic and then they didn't get enough games. But the reason that I like them is all of the, you know, the infusion of talent that they brought in, high major talent that was able to kind of learn the system last year. 
And I thought this was really the year for Leon Rice. And that's saying something considering they lost Jessup to the NBA and RJ Williams. What are your thoughts on Boise? Because a lot of their metrics are promising. They got blown out last night against Colorado State. They didn't play a tough schedule, but they hung at Houston. They won at BYU. So kind of give me the lay of the land with Boise and what your thoughts are on this team. Yeah, I was at the game last night in Fort Collins. Uh, just a, a weird game and, and just, you know, they'd won 13 in a row. So I think it was bound to happen at some point. I think if, uh, you know, we'll get a better idea, I think, on Friday night when they have the second game of that series. If Colorado State blows them out again, I think there's merit to the argument that, oh, well, they just, you know, were beaten up on the bad Mountain West teams and didn't play a tough schedule. But if they come back and even the series and win that game on Friday, then I think they're you can, you know, say that they're a, a legit NCAA tournament uh, type team. Yeah, it, it's just um, as someone who's been covering the program for a while, I mean, they look like a San Diego State type team. They have three, four, five guys that are, you know, six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, really athletic guys. And, um, you know, it's just uh, the, the talent infusion, like you mentioned, you know, they got two Arizona transfers, they got an Oregon transfer. So you're talking three Pac-12 transfers right off the bat. And then they got Marcus Shaver from Portland, who was a two-year starter there, averaging in double figures and a big guy, Laudan Armas from East Tennessee State. Um, so they got, you know, five Division One transfers. And then, oh, yeah, you bring back, you know, Derek Alston, um, who's not included in that group, who was the preseason Mountain West player of the year. So, yeah, very talented team. They have, you know, six, seven, eight guys that really any night could go for 15, 20 points. But uh, last night was a very disappointing game for them. They just didn't play well at all. But, um, you know, I think they're chalking that up to, hey, we, you know, had one thirteen in a row. It was going to end at some point. It ended pretty ugly. But, uh, you know, they got a tough schedule coming up. And so I think we're going to find out more about them and some of these other teams in the league here the next, uh, you know, four, five, six weeks. But I think they should be a tournament team. And I think they are a team that I know some people that have some futures on them and stuff too. And I think they are a team that, um, you know, potentially uh, if they can get things going, I think certainly could, could make some sort of run. Is there one thing that you're worried about with them, like on a, on a nightly basis when they play better competition? Is there something that you look for or something that you're still kind of in doubt about this team, whether it's on the offensive or defensive end, or is it yeah, mainly just shooting? S- uh, honestly, I, what we saw last night, which I think is part of the problem, is trying to mesh all these guys together. I mean, it was kind of the pro- the, the storyline going into the season all along was you got, you know, Derek Olson coming back, and then you got all these other Division One transfers that set out last year. You know, they, they didn't set out to pass Derek Olson the ball. You know, they set out so that they could, uh, you know, get their own shots and get their production too. And they've had a guy or two basically hurt or out um, pretty much the whole season. And this is, they're just getting everybody back now. So last night was only the second game where they had all of their, you know, projected top eight players in the lineup. So you'd think it would make them better, but uh, just the flow of the substitutions and that kind of stuff, it just didn't, it just seemed kind of out of sync. So I would, I would be slightly concerned about just how is Leon going to mesh all these pieces together and all these egos together of guys that want to put up stats. If they can, you know, do it for the, the betterment of the team, which they have for most, much of the season at this point. I think they have a chance to do something special. But last night it just seemed off a little bit. And so I think how they meshed, you know, Emmanuel Acott is a you know former top 25 guy that had been having a great season for him, but only, uh, you know, took two shots and didn't score in 10 minutes last night and was minus 19, uh, you know, when he was on the court in 10 minutes. That's pretty hard to do. Um, and so uh, they just have to find a way to keep all these guys involved. And if they can do that, I, I, like I said, the talent is there. Uh, Leon just, I think, has a little work cut out for him trying to keep everybody happy and make it all fit. Yep. Uh, that's a good diagnosis there. And but let's just touch quickly on the three other top teams in the Mountain West. We'll start with their opponent, uh, Colorado State. I'm a huge fan of 
Nico Medved. And I, I think that Colorado State could potentially be like the Boise State that I was talking about last year, next year. I mean, they are all – I mean, they're basically all sophomores and freshmen. Uh, there's some juniors on the team. But if everyone decides – if they keep this all intact, everyone comes back next year. Uh, Isaiah Stevens, I love him at the point. This team can really shoot. They're running really well as far as mm-hmm. three-point shooting. I mean, they're shooting close to 40% in the year, and they're holding opponents under 30%. I'm not sure that they can maintain that. But this team, uh, bright future. Any thoughts on what you've seen from the Rams? Yeah, I was very impressed last night, and I've watched a lot of them. I watched them beat Utah State last week. Uh, they beat San Diego State, obviously, in that game where they came back from 26 down earlier this year around Christmas time. So, yeah, they've been very impressive. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned Stevens and Moore, you know, the two really good guards, and they're both like six foot or smaller. I mean, they're, they're not big guards, but they're able to, you know, get in the lane. And I mean, they, they just have an all-around game. I think 10 assists last night, right, for uh, Stevens, I believe. And so, I mean, they, they just um, – it, 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 very impressive. And then you throw in Roddy, who how about this guy? He's only 6'5". I think last night against Boise he had 27 points, 15 rebounds. And he's just, you know, I, I think he had some Division One uh, college football offers. And I think he's a guy. Roddy the body. Go, YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is uh, quarterback highlights. It's, it's a phenomenal. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, he, like I said, he's got that just thick body, but he's only 6'5", but he's in there banging with – bigger dudes and, and, you know, 27 and 15 last night. So, yeah, they have a really nice team. They have Thistlewood, a three-point shooter, too. I, I like Colorado State's team a lot. I, I think in the Mountain West you're just seeing a lot of these inconsistencies on a night-to-night basis, and, and um, that's why I'm very curious in the game tomorrow because you've seen a lot of these teams split the series, and we'll see, you know, after losing by 22 if Boise State can come back tomorrow. But I think long-term Colorado State's already played Utah State. They've already played San Diego State. The, the schedule is manageable for Colorado State the rest of the way. So I, I think uh, they're certainly a team to watch, and I, I think probably will end up, uh, you know, finishing in the top three or four of the league and probably be there for the, uh, for the NCAA tournament here next month. Yeah, a uh, huge win against Boise and then a huge win against Utah State, a quad one win to split that series. Gun to your head, does Boise win tomorrow? Do they split the series? I, I, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a line or anything, um, but I, I think so. I mean, I, they just – they were, like I said, they just run characteristic, turning the ball over, and just didn't shoot very well. They only shot 33%, only hit 5 of 23 from three-point range. Um, they just didn't look like themselves. So um, they've responded pretty well to challenges this year. They've had to sit in four Collins, you know, for, for two days and stew on that one. And it was, you know, their first loss in 61 days or whatever it was. So I, yeah, I, I would, like I said, based on what I've seen in the Mountain West too, with so many of these games where you see one game and then it's totally reversed two days later, I do think they probably pull it out. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if it's, you know, you know, one where they, maybe they turn the tide and win by eight or 10 points. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And lastly, that line closed at, I think, Colorado State minus – the Colorado State plus three. Now that line is opening Colorado State minus one and a half. That's a four-and-a-half point swing based on last night's results. So I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think Boise does end up splitting this series. Uh, real quick, we'll touch on the other two teams. San Diego State, I mean, they've been uber impressive, especially considering they lost – and these are two teams well, – well, San Diego State and Utah State, they both lost a pro – and Malachi Flynn and Sam Merrill. Utah State, I think, misses – is going to end up missing Merrill more. They just missed that to me. They missed that guy who can go and get his own shot when they need it against better teams. Um, you know, Kata looks improved. He looks healthier. He's going to dominate in the paint. And they have some nice pieces around him with Justin Bean and company. But 
I think that ultimately they're going to slide. Um, and San Diego State, I mean, the way that they grind you, they play defense, and you know they have a guy like Matt Mitchell who can go get his shot. The greatest player on the West Coast, Matt Mitchell. I'm personally excited for this freshman uh, for San Diego State in Lamont Butler, who looks like he could be a player as well. So give me your thoughts on kind of quick thoughts on those two teams, if you're buyers or buying or selling either. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned the schedule for Colorado State. The schedule for San Diego State, I think they're, next, they're in a stretch now where they're playing the worst five teams in the league here for the next ten games. Uh, they just swept Air Force, and so they've got eight more games against the bottom feeders. So I would think San Jose or uh, San Diego State goes on a nice run here. It's working out well for them that Matt Mitchell is out hurt right now when they're playing these bottom teams in the league. And the way the Mountain West set the schedule up, the final two regular season games of the season is Boise State at San Diego State to finish the season. So that could mean something. Hopefully it does for both teams. That'd be fun. But, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people – as you mentioned, they lost Flynn. They lost some other guys too, and the big guy, and, and um, you know the fact that they're able to, you know, to get a couple transfers and get some guys in here. Mitchell has taken his game. Uh, Nathan Mensa's, you know, improved. I think so. Yeah, they they look pretty impressive. And like I said, they're going to start to win some games here just because of the competition. But they're a team like a lot of these teams where the home the home uh, court advantage that is so strong for them is just not there with no fans right now. And I think you're seeing some of these games at uh, Viejas Arena a lot closer than they're used to being because there's no fans. And on Utah State, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's just something missing from that team when you watch them play. I watched that Colorado State game the other night when they lost. And um, there's just – Sam Merrill, not only could he create his own shot, but he was just so clutch. Would just hit so many clutch shots when they needed a three so bad or they needed a shot. He was just – you know, just just such a great player. And so I was happy to see him, by the way, um, you know, get drafted and have a chance in the NBA because I think he's he's was a phenomenal player in college. But I agree, you know, Brock Miller has stepped up his game. Um, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's doing okay, but he's not, you know, Sam Merrill. And Justin Bean is, you know, a quality player, but again, he's not Sam Merrill. So they've got some nice pieces. The Virginia transfer they added, um, you're right about Kata. He looks a lot better in the paint. But um, I, I don't know if this, you know, that they've, they're getting a little bit of hype. They've been playing pretty well, but then they lost two in a row. I, I just um, the, the loss to UNLV was surprising, even though UNLV is playing a lot better and looks looks better now. Um, but I, I would put more stock probably in San Diego State at this point, uh, even though they're I think a game a game back with three losses. Um, but uh, I, I still think San Diego State overall is a little bit of the the uh, the better team there, even though it didn't go too well for them in, in uh, when they got swept up there in, in Logan long term. But uh, no, I, I like Kata. I like their team. I, I still think it's boy. I, if I, you know, man, I, it, all four of those teams are so good, and it wouldn't surprise me. I know Mountain West. You mentioned how bad the bad teams are. You didn't even mention New Mexico, by the way, with how bad they are. One and nine. Ugh, or whatever they, they look are, like they don't care. Or whatever I watch them. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 atrocious. Also, um, you know, thankfully, thankfully, uh, they played each other. So one of so we couldn't have two winless teams this year uh, with them in San Jose. Um, but um, no, I, I still think it's the, clearly those top four teams, and I think I think uh, Colorado State. Honestly, especially if they win Friday, I think Colorado State might be in the driver's seat because Boise still plays San Diego and still plays Utah State. Um, and Colorado State plays mostly the bottom teams now the rest of the way. So I think that um, tomorrow is a huge game for Colorado State. If they win, I think you can make a strong case that they're going to they're gonna end up being the regular season champs. Yeah, there's uh, you can make arguments at all. For, there's The Mountain West could end up with four teams in the tournament. And this year, I, I wouldn't hate to see – all four. And if I, ha- if I actually had to take one and throw them out, it would be Utah State. But you, J- 
just from a, a fan perspective, and I, I think almost my updated power ratings, who I want to see. The last thing I'll leave you with, and again, appreciate your time, is the one thing that Utah State does have working for them. We, you mentioned this. We talked about it on Twitter a little bit. Is they have a little bit of a home court advantage. Like there are fans there, and yeah. it's it's so interesting to see it. Like there's a, a 50-50 ball where it's clearly that's a jump ball, and the fans start yelling, and then I will call it a foul. And just these little things that add up over the course of the game is that that's pretty much where the only place we're seeing it right in the mountain West that, that you've seen. Yeah. I, I know Boise's trying to make a push. Boise state has two more home series against UNLV and Utah state coming up here in a couple of weeks. I know Leon's been pretty outspoken about it. he wants that there. And so uh, it wouldn't shock me if they're able to get maybe at least the band and cheerleaders and players, parents, and some students in there, but um, it's crazy. Yeah. 1600 fans in Logan. And that makes a big difference. Uh, with some of the calls and things like that. It's crazy. And, you know, I, I get it. You got to get it. You know, any school that can do it, you can make a buck on tickets and all that. I get it. But it's just so crazy to me, like even within a league, that the rules aren't the same for everybody. I mean, if if 10 of the 11 schools can't have fans, I don't know why that one should be allowed to. I mean, it just, I mean, I, it, just, it just seems weird to me. And I'm not saying that there should be or shouldn't be fans in the pandemic, and that's a whole other issue. But it's just crazy to me that one – team can have fans and can can you know impact the direct outcome of not only games but potentially the league championship based on having fans at their home games and who they schedule at home versus road and, and not having fans at say a place like San Diego State where it's you know top 10 home court in the in the country so it's it is what it is this year it's you know I know it's just a weird year and everyone says it's not going to be fair and that's what you have to do but um, I think Wyoming is going to start allowing limited fans. I think I saw a couple hundred or something, maybe a Wyoming coming up. So it's, but yeah, as of now, I think they are the only one and we'll see if the others, you know, maybe off, off their lead can, can pressure their administration to try to get a, a few in there. But I agree. I think all four teams can make the tournament. It would be what 2013, I believe was the last year they had five in 2013. Um, that was the year, my first year I got here, Boise state played LaSalle in the first four in that game. Um, but uh, no, I, I think this is a strong year at the top for the league and hopefully they're, rewarded with that and they can get multiple bids in for the first time in a while fascinating conference uh excited to watch it all play out i appreciate you joining us and again you can find bj at bj reigns on twitter for all things boise state and mountain west coverage throughout the rest of the season and that includes football in the off season and next year uh, I appreciate your time, BJ. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, we'll catch you on Twitter this weekend. Good luck to yeah, your Broncos. No problem. And, yeah, that new TV deal for the Mountain West is paying off. They're, they're all, there's a Mountain West game on some TV channel pretty much every night now. So it's uh, it's been fun. And, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, man. Always a pleasure. All right. Thanks to BJ for joining us. Thanks to Colin and Mike, as always, for joining me. Hopefully we can have a winning weekend. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all of you. Thanks to the three-man weave guys as well. Don't forget to subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. You know the drill. Leave a review. Really just leave a five-star review. It takes one second. We'll put you in for some drawings, some giveaways. People are tweeting at us all the time. Appreciation for the giveaway packs we're sending. Just leave a five-star review. Pretty good chance you're probably going to get something from us. Let's have a weekend. We'll catch you all next week. Cheers. It's out. Get your popcorn ready. We're finished talking.